Let's look, shall we? Proverbs chapter 27, verse 7. The Bible says, look at it. Proverbs 27, verse 7. The full soul loatheth an honeycomb, but to the hungry soul, every bitter thing is sweet. Let's read it together, shall we? Ready? The full soul loatheth a honeycomb, but to the hungry soul, every bitter thing is sweet. This is our principle today. This is the principle of our message. Let's notice the example in Revelation chapter 3. In Revelation chapter 3, uh, you know these are the letters to the churches of Asia. In chapter 3, verse 14, he begins to address the church of the Laodiceans. He says, And unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans, these things saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would thou work cold or hot. So then because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. And knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable, poor and blind and naked. I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire, that thou mayest be rich, and white raiment, that thou mayest be clothed, that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear, and anoint thy eyes with eye salve, that thou mayest see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come in to him and will sup with him and he with me. We find the Lord is pleading at the door of this church. He's pleading for his people to let him in. And we see that uh, this church, as we look at it, we wonder how does a church get into such a condition? How does this happen? Dr. Bob Kelly said that a world at its worst deserves a church at its best. And the, there's a danger for those of us in churches and Bible college, by the way, who deal in sacred things all the time. Chapel every day, Bible classes every day, Bible devotions, preachers, teachers, classes. You know, you can get backslidden in Bible college. And there's this danger that we face of becoming full. We become so full. Uh, we take in so much Bible, so much preaching that we begin to take the sacred for granted. Bible study that was once exciting. We look forward to it, couldn't wait for Bible study. But now it's become somewhat dull and wearisome. Church services, chapel services, spiritual related activities used to be the highlight of our week. Couldn't wait for it. But now we prod ourselves to get back and do the things that we know we should be doing. Why is this? Well, Solomon says, the full soul loatheth a honeycomb. Scripture is compared to honey in the Bible, sweeter than the honeycomb. 
In Psalm 19, the Bible says in verse 9, that the fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, and yea, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. So question is, is it possible to become too full of Scripture that we begin to loathe it? And the answer to that is absolutely no, absolutely not. But let me say that it is possible to get sick when anything sweet is taking out of balance or there's too big of a dose at one time. You see, there's no such thing as getting too much scripture. There's no such thing as praying too much. There's no such thing as, as uh, reading the Bible too much. But there is a such thing as getting too much of a, of a good thing. Years ago, I was trying to count up, and my wife is sitting in the back. She always has the technical day of the month and the year and everything. I get it kind of confused. But years ago, and one, my first pastorate was in a little bitty country church out in the country. And uh, it was uh, just uh, our first beginning there. We lived in a little bitty parsonage across the parking lot from the church. And uh, we had some sweet folks there. And there was a couple there named Floyd and Bonnie Breedlove. They just graduated to heaven this past year. And over this last 35 years, we have maintained, um, actually longer than that, we've maintained a, a close relationship with them. And as it was my uh, habit, I would go to the office early in the morning. And on Wednesdays around noon, I would go home across the parking lot and uh, fix me a sandwich or something. My wife was teaching in the academy there, and our kids, of course, were in school. And I would uh, begin to pray and read my Bible and, and get ready for the Wednesday night service. And there was a little knock at the door, and I went there, and there was Miss Bonnie. And Miss Bonnie had this, not a pan, not a, not a bowl. She had a tub. Was it a pan? Was it a bowl? It was a, yes, it was. And it was a tub of chocolate cherry yum yum. I said, what is that? Well, I'll tell you this, it's yum yum. <laughs> and she came by, she knocked on the door and she said, Pastor, I know Debbie won't have time to get a dessert for the kids because of church service tonight, so I brought this by. And she handed it to me. Was it a bowl? No. Was it a pan? No. It was a, oh. yes. And I said, thank you so much. And I went to the refrigerator and slid it in there. And I ate my bologna sandwich. I was in Mississippi, so it was, it was a bologna sandwich. <laughs> and I had a few chips and a, a, a Coke. And I thought, you know, it wouldn't hurt for me to just get a little bit. That's a big, big tub. Stay with me. <laughs> Slow train coming through. It was a big, I said, so a little bit wouldn't hurt. So I went in there and I took a little saucer and I took a knife and got just a, just a little piece about, about the size of that. And I sat down and I 
took a spoonful and I put it in my mouth. And I'm telling you, folks, listen to me. My eyes did not light up any less than when Jonathan put his staff into the honey and put the honey to his mouth and his eyes were enlightened. And I tasted that and I said, mmm, <laughs> me like them yum yum. <laughs> and I thought I'd go back for a little bit more. So I went back for a little bit more. Not a huge piece, just a piece about that size. <laughs> and I went back and I sat down reading my Bible, looking at my notes. We didn't have computers back then. We had books open everywhere. And I was eating that. And then I got sad because I took the last bite of what I had. So I thought, this is nonsense. So I went and I pulled the out of the refrigerator. I set it on the counter. I put the saucer in the sink with the small spoon and I got the shovel spoon out. <laughs> and I began to eat. And I began to eat. And it was not my, my best moment. <laughs> I was not proud of myself. But when I got done, in the very back corner of the... was only one piece about the size of this. I had almost eaten the whole tub. And I said, what have I done? So I thought about eating the rest of it and putting the tub in the backyard. It had this aluminum foil over the top of it. So I carefully, strategically moved the aluminum foil back. I smoothed it out and it looked just like it looked when Brother Mrs. Bonnie gave it to me. So I took it and I slid it back in the refrigerator in the very back, back part of the refrigerator. And I began to prepare for Wednesday night. Something came up. I'm like, oh, oh, I can't believe I almost ate the whole thing. I got sick. I got so sick. I had to go lay down. I'm laying down and I'm looking at the clock. It's almost 3.30. The kids are going to be bouncing in the front of the door real soon. I thought, oh, Lord Jesus, please come quickly. Help me. And I heard the front door open. The kids are bouncing in. Debbie walks in. She says, honey, we're home, honey. She said, where are you? Oh. And she says, honey, are you, is that you? Oh. She comes back. She says, oh, honey, are you sick? I said, mm, me, me not feel good. She said, do you have a fever? I said, I don't think so. She said, can I fix you some soup? No. <laughs> Maybe if you eat something, you'll feel better. No. No, no. No, please. She says, bless your heart. I said, I'm not sure I'll even be able to preach. She said, I am so sick. She said, well, if you need anything. She, and she sat down by me. She said, don't shake the bed. And she said, I said, I said don't, don't shake the bed, please. I'm just fighting this. She said, bless your heart, honey. I want to pray for you. And she went into the kitchen. I heard the cabinets opening. I heard pots and pans coming down. She was getting ready to make dinner, and I heard the refrigerator door open. And I thought, hell, Mary, full of grace. 
That's for all of our Catholic friends on live stream. And I heard her slide the out of the refrigerator. And I thought, here it comes. I think I could hear the tin fool going back. And then I heard, you dirty rat. I heard her stomping down the hallway. I thought, here she comes, Armageddon. She walks in. She says, dude, are you telling me you ate that whole tub of dessert? I said, me like them, yum, yum. <laughs> she said, I can't believe you did that. She sat down. She said, you ought to be sexy. Don't shake the bed. She said, don't shake the bed. And she got on her knees and hands and started bouncing on the bed. <laughs> She's here. She's sitting right back there. I did not embellish any of that story. That is true. We went to marriage counseling after that, and thank God we just celebrated 45 years. But listen, in order for a meal to be really good, it takes two ingredients. First of all, a good meal, and secondly, a hungry man. Someone who is sick or someone who has eaten so much and not allow the proper time for digestion, can loathe the very best meal in the world. Harry A. Ironside said this, It is need that gives appetite and enjoyment to what others would be despair. The more we have, instead of increasing in happiness, deprives us, deprives us of the peace and joy that comes from smaller portions. The man whose appetite is turned off by overeating can't stand to to look at even the most appealing food. You see, Solomon says, the full soul loatheth the honeycomb. So our question today and our proposition is, how can we stay hungry though the sacred food is always set before us? And let me ask the question, what is it that keeps us spiritually hungry? Now, I'm speaking to some folks today, and you're full. You may not be so full that you're sick, but you're full. Maybe you're close to being that Laodicean church. I'm rich, and I'm increased with goods. I have need of nothing. And you really just don't know perhaps how wretched or miserable and poor and blind and maybe naked you are before God Almighty himself. What is, what is it that keeps us spiritually hungry? Let me give you just a few thoughts. First of all, let me say, being around, being around godly people. Godly people creates a hunger in us. And Dr. Mike Allison just preached here, and he's... Uh, uh, my best friend, and we've, we've been very close. And over the last uh, 30 years, we both have preached at each other's preaching conferences, and we've preached it t- together at many other conferences across the country. And, uh, but he challenges me to be more for God. You see, Matthew 5, 13 says, Ye are the salt of the earth, but if the salt hath lost its savor, wherewith shall it be salted? 
It is thenceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and to be trodden under the foot of men. When you think about the need that we have, have you ever noticed what it does to your spirit? Uh, it does to your desire when you're around someone who is godly, who loves God, who's walking with God. Just a couple of weeks ago, I was preaching up in Wisconsin and a great church with a tremendous pastor, Dr. Wayne Van Geldren. And uh, Brother Van Geldren knew me, knew me when I was 18, and he was our dorm supervisor. I would have never thought back then he'd be having me preach in his church, let me tell you. But the time I was with him, I just so enjoyed because he challenged me greatly. See, Jesus said that Christians are to be the salt of the earth. A good, salty Christian makes you thirsty. I try to be around uh, those who are walking with God, those who love God, uh, those who are, are challenging and talking uh, not just about the UT Vols or your particular team, but what they got from God's Word, uh, what some professor covered and how it spoke to their heart. You want to be around somebody who's going to make you better. You want to be around somebody who's going to challenge you to be more for God. I try to be around people like that. I try to read books that make me hungry. My Sunday school class uh, just finished two books by Roy Hessian, uh, The Calvary Road, and We Would See Jesus. And those books challenged me, and after each chapter, uh, I saw holes in myself and my spirituality, areas that I need to show up for God and, and draw close to God. You see, uh, when we get around people, who have a heart for God, when we get uh, into books that, that they have a uh, tendency and propensity to, to, to lead us closer to the foot of the cross, uh, it makes a hunger in us. It makes us hungry uh, for prayer, hungry for spiritual things. If we're going to stay hungry, you better listen to me. You better hang with the right people. You better be with people who are godly people. Not only do we uh, look at those uh, people who are godly. But what is it going to take to keep me spiritually hungry? Number two is find ways to serve God. Uh, James tells us clearly, I'm not telling you anything you haven't heard before that you don't know, but James 1 verse 22 says, uh, but be you doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. For if any be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is likened to a man beholding his natural face uh, in a glass. See, you're either a hearer or you're a hearer and doer of the word. There's that uh, old hymn, rescue the perishing, care for the dying, snatch them in pity from sin in the grave, weep or the erring ones, lift up the, the fallen, tell them of Jesus the mighty to save. In that, you find the actions, rescue and care and snatch and weep and lift up. He tells us that duty demands it. And we need to be around godly people and we need to be about the master's business. We need to be busy for God. Now, let me tell you something. Anybody who's ever pastor knows this. But when you want something, you've got a job that needs to be done. You find somebody who has no time to do it. You find somebody's already got 15 things going. They're in the bus ministry. They're in the choir. Uh, they're with King's Kids. Uh, they're on every Saturday morning soul winning. Uh, they're there at the revival prayer meeting. 
Those are the people who will get her done. But you find somebody who, who just isn't doing much, they don't have time to do those things. Oh, there's always that, that 10% who is real happy for the rest uh, to go ahead and, and uh, do the rest of, of the uh, work or of the labor. If I want to stay hungry, if I want to stay thirsty for the things of God, listen to me. I've got to find ways to go out after I have been filled with the word to empty my pill. I'll tell you one thing, friend. When you're walking with God and you're serving God, you'll find yourself sitting at the feet of people. You'll find yourself in some godly book and you'll say, oh, God, I'm a needy person. I'm empty. God, if I want to do your work, God, if you're going to use me, I must be filled. You must find ways to empty your pill. Everyone should have people they're ministering to. Everyone. You're not an island unto yourself. Everyone has a circle of influence. And in your circle of influence, your influence is stronger and greater than what mine would be or another pastor because that's your peers, that's your circle. And if I'm going to stay hungry, if I'm going to stay thirsty... I must get out about the Lord's work and I must be a doer of the word and I must empty my pail that I know I've got to get back and I've got to have more if I want to be able to continue. How do we keep from being spiritually hungry? We be around godly people. We find ways to serve God. And then we stay aware of our daily needs. You know what I've learned about myself, and I think if it's myself, I think it's uh, most people too. We think we know our needs. We think we do. But we don't. We do not. I was sharing with Dr. Bill earlier that uh, I've had uh, two back surgeries. The um, first back surgery was seven hours. And a week later, I had a second one that was six hours. And after I came out of the ICU unit, I was taken to a rehab hospital. And it was 3 o'clock in the morning in this strange place. And I want to tell you, when I tell you that my drugs were so heavy, only a ICU nurse could administer them because they had to observe me. I couldn't get out of bed. And I woke up at 3 o'clock in the morning and I had soaked through my pajamas. I had soaked through my pillow, my, my sheets, and my mattress. I was in the dark all along. I pushed the, the nurse's button. They came in and I had puddled my body to the foot of the bed. And they had to come in and take that sheet and pick me up and move me. And then move me again. The pain was the most excruciating pain, even though I was on incredible drugs. It's 3 o'clock in the morning and the nurses came in and they packed me in ice from the back of my neck down to my knees, packed me in ice. And then they walked out and closed the door and there I am packed in ice and I'm laying there and I'm in pain and I'm most miserable. And I started crying out to God and I said, God, I just want to go home. God, I just want to be better. God, I want out of this place. God, I don't want to be in this pain. 
And while the Lord did not speak to me audibly, it was close to that. He said to me, Rick, the Lord is your shepherd. You shall not want. And I paused and I said, oh, God, you're right. You're the all. It's not my wants. What Jesus said in the Garden of Gethsemane, thy will be done. And from that point right there, my friend, I embraced all that was before me in this journey. And everything turned around. I became the witness in the uh, rehab workout room, the physical therapy and the occupational therapy. I was sitting there and they rolled me in there, Dr. Bill, and they had these pillows and these pillowcases, occupational therapy. They, they should have a car then for me to change the oil or something, but they want me to put these pillows in these pillowcases. And I tell them, I don't ever do this. As a matter of fact, I don't think I've done this since college. There's a man across the table from his name was Steve. He had this big old bushy beard. His hands were coarse and, and hard and calloused. He had a cap on that says B&G's Construction Company. And he's folding baby socks and has a tear coming out of the side of his face. And I'm watching him. And I remember that when God met with me at 3 o'clock in the morning, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Jesus is enough. And I went over to him. We were just across the corner of the table. I put my hand on his shoulder and I said, Steve, I said, what's your name? He said, Steve. I said, Steve, my name is Rick. I said, listen, Steve, we're in a hard place right now. This is difficult. We're in a hard place. But we're going to get better. God's going to help us. We're going to get out of here. Would you let me pray with you? And Steve, who looks like he'd never prayed in his life, said, I, I would like that. So I put my hand on his shoulder. And I said, Dear Heavenly Father, by that time the, the therapist came. And she said, What are y'all doing? I said, Steve's having kind of a hard day. I thought I'd pray with him. She says, Well, not without me. And she put her hands on my back. And she prayed with us. I told the lady, I said, I don't do this at home. She said, well, you're going to do it now. <laughs> I called my wife. I said, they tried to trick me. Those pillowcases were too small for those pillows. <laughs> you had to force them in there. And then Debbie informed me that's the way they come. <laughs> Understand this. Find people to minister to. Be around godly people. Find ways to serve then be aware of your daily needs. Paul says in Philippians 4.12, I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound everywhere. And in all things, I'm instructed both to be full. There's the word full. And to be hungry. There's the word hungry. Both to abound and to suffer need. You see, it is need that creates desire. And until God reveals to us where our actual needs are. Let me tell you, I was glad to have the morphine. I was glad to have the oxycodone and the hydrocodone. I was glad to have the ice that was packed. I was glad to have surrendered by some of the most wonderful people to help me. But I'll tell you what, my greatest need was him. He walks with me. He talks with me. He tells me I am his own. And that, my friend, is the medicine we need. When my children were very sick, I knew 
what my needs were. When we had more bills than what we had money, I was very aware of what our needs were. But when I have plenty and all is selling smooth and all is well, then I must learn how to abound. You see, that's done by earnestly, sincerely praying when I ask God, Lord, reveal to me my needs. Don't walk out of here like you don't have a need. Don't walk out of here like a Laodicean, that you have need of nothing. Even when we are in the midst of abounding, we're needy people. And uh, we need to acknowledge that. Lastly, let me say that if we're going to stay hungry, being around godly people, finding ways to empty our pell and to serve God, that we, we must have more to continue. Staying aware of our daily needs. Lastly, it's to avoid the areas that kill hunger. Now, I am the yes-we-can Papa man. Papa, can we do this? Oh, yes, we can. Papa, can we do that? Absolutely, yes, we can. Now, if, if, if they say, can, can we have, uh, you know, ice cream? Yes, we can. Can we have chocolate? Yes, yes, we can. But they say, can we play in the street? I don't tell them no. I just say, hmm, you might want to go ask Granny about that. Because Granny tells them no like that. And that's why when they run, they run around Granny and run to me when they come. <laughs> you got to avoid things that kill the hunger. And they, all the family had come over to our home for Sunday dinner and after the morning service. And I always keep a, a drawer over here in this cabinet, this table. And uh, most things that are chocolate are found in there. There's always a bunch of cashew nuts in there and peanuts and stuff like that. And uh, the grandkids said uh, they were getting supper or dinner going. It wasn't on the table yet. So I asked uh, my daughters, can, can the kids have some of these cashews? I'm eating some. They said, okay. So I said, go get you a bowl. And they went and got a bowl. It wasn't a tub, but it was a big bowl. You remember that? And I poured it full. And they're sitting on the floor and we're talking, laughing, and they're eating these. And Joy Bell, my daughter, walks in and she says, Dad, you're going to ruin their meal. And she's snatching nuts. Nuts were going all over the... (laughs) Maybe not quite like that, but that's the way I saw it. (laughs) You're going to kill their hunger. They're not going to eat their dinner. You see, I would have never given my children that. These grandkids aren't my responsibility. My kids come to me and they ask me, who are you and what have you done with our father? (laughs) There are many things in our lives that kill hunger. Let me tell you what they are. Possessions. The Bible says in uh, Luke 14, verse 18, and they all with one consent began to make excuse. The first said unto him, I have bought a piece of ground, possessions, And I must need, go see it. I pray thee have me excused. The second one is profession. Your profession. Verse 19 says, and another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen. This guy didn't need five yokes. He's got some kind of moving business or farming business or something. 
and I go to prove them, I pray thee, have me excused. And then pleasures, verse 20 says. And another said, I have married a wife, therefore I cannot come. Now, listen to me, friends, listen to me. The devil will never tell you, serve me. Get on your knees and serve me. The devil will tell you, serve yourself. Serve yourself. I must not allow possessions or professions or pleasures to destroy my appetite. I cannot afford to be full. I must get out and do the master's work and empty my pail. I must be around people who are, who are godly, people uh, who are righteous, who create an appetite uh, in me for godly things. I must stay aware of my daily needs and know what's real in my life and what I think may not be exactly what God has for me. And I must avoid those things that kill hunger. I must stay hungry for souls. I must stay hungry for His Word. I must stay hungry for His power. We must stay hungry. Listen to me. When you get full, you're finished. I remember Bible college and chapel was the most special. As a matter of fact, I'm not so sure I didn't learn so much in chapel and in some classes. But I knew there were some times in my life and in my ministry where I was full. And listen, not only do we get full, we get full of ourselves. We have to stay hungry. The full soul loatheth a honeycomb. But to the hungry soul, every bitter thing is sweet.